0: another series of Rayon uh, challenging the future today with Julian Salazar. So Julian, uh, thanks for you know, meeting with me. Uh, it's a pleasure to connect with you. Um, so Julian, um, I'd love to start knowing more about your you know, career path. So you know, how did you became a, a senior research scientist at Google AI? Uh, you know What are the qualifications and skills required for the role what makes you wake up in the morning excited to go to work? So tell us more.
1: Yeah, um, it's great to have, um, thanks Marcus for having me on today. Um, and yeah, I appreciated the invite. Um, yeah, I think I've had a, I have a pretty unconventional path towards this career. So I'll, I'll just qualify that before I talk about how I got to where, what I work on today. Um, so, I started off as a, I studied pure mathematics as a, as an undergrad, you know, I thought I was going to be like a, a, like a professor of like algebraic geometry, like some, some, something esoteric. Um, But then I always tried to had to square that off with, you know, kind of what my interests were growing up. Right. So, you know, um, growing up, like I learned to program computers pretty early, like when I was 13 or so. I was I was building like text chatbots. Um, if people remember, Eliza or Alice was the was yeah, the yeah. was the framework that I started working on on computers with, and that was that was a that was a program that let you made temp make templated chatbots. So you could actually like you know you, it was like XML statements, and you could say, well, okay, if the user inputs this sentence, um, you know. You, re- you reply this. And then if they said like, you know, say hi, my name is in a variable, then your system replies, hi, variable, my name is yeah. Julian Bot or, or something. Uh, and, you know, so I spend a lot of, so even though I, I did very well in math at school and, you know, that turned into like math camps and eventually, you know, my undergraduate degree and, and undergraduate research, um, I was always coding, and I was always building, um, you know, programs, websites. Um, and, you know, by the time I graduated uh, from undergrad, um, I, I think it became clear to me that I wasn't as motivated by just doing very pure, you know, proofs um, work when I could see that, um, you know, my my, my, my classmates um, and basically... The whole startup industry, and of course, big tech. Uh, we're were, toor- we're progressing towards like like the kind of scale of impact that that y- you saw there. Um, this was also like when I started when I started college. I the social network had just come out, and so that movie I think really really influenced uh, me and my peers. Um, because I, I attended Harvard, and yeah. so it was like really it was like really the. The talk of the time, where it's like, okay, you have to join the the entrepreneurship incubators, and you, you know, don't you want to be a startup? Don't you want to drop out and make the next company? Um, so, this is the first thing I point out is that I don't actually have a graduate degree, and which is not a typical situation for someone who is a senior research scientist at Google. Um, so, after I graduated, um, I got a position at Amazon at AWS. Um, in, this is where, this is kind of why you know the luck really played into this, and being at the right time played into this, because um, AWS was trying to start up their own AI-like initiative, and so back then they weren't really screening for qualifications as much as, okay, well this this person has done some some research and has you know passed the interview, and so that's why I started at Amazon as an applied scientist. Uh, like close to six years ago now, um, and so yeah, so that's that's how I got at least professionally into this kind of scientific role um, in, in in industry, um, and so yeah, I, I've worked I worked I first worked on speech recognition there at AWS AI. Um, we launched um, the Amazon Transcribe Cloud Service. Um, I also recognize that my you know, because I didn't have this credential of a, like a PhD that I needed to, if I wanted to keep working as a researcher, even do more research than kind of this just, you know, half product, half research role that I needed to, you know, start publishing, start showing that I could come up with some, you know, novel ideas. So I spent a lot of my kind of like my free time and personal time doing that. Um, and and that worked out. I guess, like you know, like I I figured how to do research alongside my work, published, um, you know, kind of kind of demonstrated my skills at Amazon, and yeah, uh, this earlier this year in January is when I when I moved to Google, and folk with a more focus on a uh, long-term research bent. And that's
0: so, an yeah. amazing story. Yeah. No. Thanks for sharing that. And- I no uh, on a personal note. I just finished uh, you know, very high level specialization in machine learning uh, with um, Stanford online um, Andrew Ng. So um, Andrew Ng, yeah, yeah, and uh, you know I I did engineering like twenty five years ago, uh, computer engineering, and I learned some stuff in calculus that I said you know I'm not sure if I use that again, and then on the first sessions of the specialization, talking about ma- matrix calculation. And I was like, oh, actually, you know, it's quite important well. It's quite helpful to have a maths background <laughs> in AI. So uh, it's funny you say that story because to me it was kind of uh, unexpected to have this kind of so strong uh, connection with, uh, you know, maths background. And uh, in, in terms of, you know, since you joined Google AI, so, what is sparking your interest? You know, what kind of projects you're working on? Of course, things you can share. But um, so what's, what's exciting about, you know, the activities you're doing right now?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, before I answer that, I, I, yeah. I, I have to say that this is part of, this is the main reason why I think machine learning has been a great middle path for me. Because, like, you know, I, I saw both, um, like, I, I spent a year away from college. Like, I, I spent, like, second and third year away. And I ended up working at a startup. Like working, writing iOS apps. Um, And, you know, that was great. It was a good engineering task, but it's like, you know, I was still very interested in math, right? And it just felt like, okay, if I just stayed like a, say, this a dropout and worked on this forever, like I wouldn't be doing this half of, you know, my mathematical like thinking and interest. And so when I, you know, learned, started getting into machine learning, it's like, oh, I can still be building stuff that people use, but still have to think about, You know kind of mathematical principles like you know like like linear algebra and function approximations and so yeah that's that's one of the things that starts to keeps me motivated it's like at least at least in the earlier part of the deep learning revolution it does seem that math and mathematical thinking uh, matters Um,
0: it does it does matter but you know uh, what's really interesting in, in my view is that it's dismystify a little bit AI because mm-hmm. you know, if you follow the headlines, there's a lot of hype and misconception about AI. Right. But when you lift the hood and look under the engine, you see that we're pretty much like as human beings, we are smart enough to develop these math principles that will enable things like generative AI, traditional AI. So for me, I think it was kind of a revelation to say, actually, it, it's complex, I, I you know, it's super complicated. But in the end of the day, it's just maps. You know, we're we're leveraging maps in the background. So I think that's super interesting.
1: Yeah, it is. It is definitely interesting. And I guess maybe just just the it's interesting is the conclusion of that, right? It's like, you know, the distinction between the classical and what we call like deep and now generative AI is like, you know, it was very like the math used was very kind of prescriptive. It was like. You'd say, okay, well, here's here's you're trying to minimize this loss, and you have a very simple function like a linear function, and then you know, like you can kind of see the error for that, and it's like very, it's very understandable. Um, there's the weights of saying that this 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 value is important, this this property of like you know how round the object is might tell you whether it's a face or not. But now we have like you know, neural networks that are millions or billions of parameters, and so even though the maths is Kind of, there is there's underlying mathematical principles. The the you know how that iterative process of like you know gradient descent and all of these uh, deep learning uh, techniques gives us something that's like almost human like. Exactly. So I guess that's yeah, that's that's one of the things. It's like you know people are of course even now trying to understand what where is like this big gulf between like here is the definition of a neuron in a neural network, but, like here is like GPT four or Gemini. Um, and so, yeah, so that's definitely one thing, right? Like, I think, I think um, you know, of course right now it's very exciting in the field because in terms of capabilities, things are evolving every day. But, um, you know, I, th- I think every, you know, of course it's kind of like those paradigm shifts like the little kind of plateau, right? And then, you know, maybe that's the time when we start co- recollecting and thinking that, oh, actually like, this isn't magic. This is this is science. This is yeah, yeah, this is yeah. like a pr- process we can understand. And then, of course, like you know, people will take those findings and like with like the, with transformer architecture, then they'll you know then we start a new plateau and then yeah. we can reassess. And I think I think it's nice to be part of um, that kind of process of both exploring capabilities and then um, you know being able to then step back from moments to moments when we can and say, actually, this is what's happening and this is what I can, based, you know, conditioned on that, here's what we can build next, or here's what we can, you know, we can understand.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think on that line, one of the things I notice when I talk about, you know, AI with um, decision makers and other professionals, I don't think people have a clear understanding of the differences between traditional and generative AI. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I, I I recommend to have that distinction, you know, um, in their minds. And one of the things I I see generative AI being very useful, at least on a personal level, is to help you make better decisions. It doesn't make the decision for you, but it gives you a little bit of you no know, feedback and challenge. Sometimes your way of thinking. Do you see that as a, a as as a let's say a venue to explore, like using? generative AI as a way to you know, deliver better outcomes or you know, perform better at work, write better essays. Uh, what, what do you think about this?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I guess you're thinking like at a personal level or at like a business level. Or... Yeah, on a,
0: on a, on a, on a pro- professional level, if you are you know leveraging generative AI um, in different contexts, at least in my experience, has been something that has been saving a lot of time.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... I mean, definitely, yes, like definitely, I do think that, I mean, first of all, I can't just dispute that clearly there people around the world are finding value, right? Like yeah. in terms of their productive, professional lives. Um, right, What I think what is, remains to be seen is how, how clearly that transfers to like more productive businesses. Um, but definitely personal, you know, like I know that it helps people write like cold emails, it helps people like respond to kind of like more point you know form discussions like you know here's a thread where you're just trying to like keep up to date with like a professional contact but you know it's like not, you're not, not not purporting that this is like a personal message or like this is like your own you know like missive or blog post and, yeah. and maybe if you are that's that's fine to be honest I mean I guess you know maybe one thing I'll point out is I actually I personally am not a significant, I'll just say this: I'm not a significant user of generative AI, and hopefully this doesn't disqualify me from research. <laughs> um, I guess it's, it's because you know it's like the the big the big danger or like the big like caveat of um, you know personal of, of AI of at least current forms of generative AI. And again, this is coming from someone who spent like years doing working on language models uh, in in Amazon, like boring language models like like ngram and like pre 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 GPT models as well. Um, is that you know they, they are still a function of what their inputs are, right? Mm-hmm. And of course that, that sounds straight because he's saying like well the you know language models inputs are like the collective sum of human knowledge, right? At least what's written on the internet. Um, but then you know when when you know when I do it, when you do an interview or when you're like someone's respond like asking you about a specific like thing and the thing you're working on like like the language model has no visibility at least right now on you know my specific situation right or like you know my experiences or my um, you know like the the combination of like a hundred whatever papers that I've been thinking about leading me to work on this one thing. And so I think at the edge of knowledge generation, like, you know, the humans are still king. Yeah. But, but um and so, you know, so like when I write, when I write a research paper or when I'm like writing code, like I've, of course I have, you know, I've, I have, you know, at least we, we Google has like a professional version, for example, of code generation for its first for developers. Um, and you know, it, it helps for boilerplate, but it doesn't really help for, um, you know, for the research. It I wouldn't say that it, I, it's accelerated me much in terms of my my specific professional job. But I also recognize that there's a lot of people where, you know, the, the, at least the current way their role is defined involves writing a lot of boiler, boilerplate, mm-hmm. involves, you know, a lot of um, kind of maybe like mock like you know maybe in the artistic right? like writing mock-ups or get you know really sketching like you you UIs quickly um, and hopefully that, that that leads to a lot of um, like more productivity or or even more leisure for yeah. for people as the, you know as we, as we all um, better understand you know what what kind of work can be automated in a way and what what matters. Yeah. Yeah
0: interesting the point you made about you know uh, the quality of the output is highly dependent on the on the data you're leveraging so yeah. I'm thinking um, in terms of uh, your research focus um, how you you know how you think about areas you should you know go deeper in terms of research would that involve I assume you know large volumes of unstructured data or is there is any any specific aspect that you say actually that's a problem, that worth you know uh, research and understands the the underlying you know causes of that pro- the root cause of that problem so what what's your thinking in terms of deciding the, the path you take in terms of research
1: yeah yeah um, yeah i guess i real, never really answered your earlier point about um what what um, you know what's kind of exciting me right now yeah. at least um, yeah so i used to get so you know i used to work on speech recognition Uh, AWS, and that was really a lot, you know, that interest more came from, I mean, really just like experiential, like, you know, I want to, working on deep learning, working on the transformer, um, working on those architectures at that time was, you know, it was, it was just exciting, right? And so from, from that, at that point, it was very, like, purely interest-driven, like, um, okay, this, this, I, 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 I believe in the principles of this new, this new, um, this new model and this new way of thinking, like with big data, and that you know the data will inform. You know that the data is really what drives the model. Like we're at the point where the models are powerful enough that it's about data construction. So I worked on like low resource and like cross lingual sorry low resource translation, like cross lingual, like zero zero shot. Um, Methods of, um, of 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 um, paraphrasing translation, right? Or like, or even just like fundamental properties of the transformer, because that was what my research used to be. Um, and you know, that led me into just thinking about language models, and so like the middle body of my re- my research, as far as on just language modeling. Mm-hmm. But um, so but but you know, as as a lot of more people enter the field, and it became clear that like you know, if I it, I started to feel like the things that I was doing at the time, like given enough time, other people would do the same things, mm-hmm. which to be frank, I think most research, almost all research falls into this. It's not like yeah. um, like I claim that someone would have invented the transformer if it wasn't invented by the specific set of people. Right. Um, and so that's, that's fine. Um, I think it's also because now that deep learning is more ubiquitous, like I started to think about like what Personally, I'm interested in right. Like, so if it's if even if it's the case that like the things the idea, research ideas I was coming up with are ones that necessarily other people may eventually have, then maybe and you know now that I have kind of had this buy-in just from like having published more and being more and having been in the community for like at least a decent amount of time, um, maybe I should just focus on what I want to build yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. And so, part when I left Amazon to go to Google, actually, that this was a lot of it was motivated by the projects that, you know, that the team that I joined were, are, are, were thinking about. Um, so, I right now I work on speech generation. And um, so, kind of like the arc of like recognizing speech, generating text, generating speech, um, and, and maybe tying it back to what I was interested in as a, as a, as a kid. I'm uh, just thinking about um, chatbots and dialogue in the context of speech. So, so, um, so um, I mean, our latest work is called Spectron. Um, there's a Google AI blog post about it. And um, the idea there is to take a language model, take a pre-trained language model. We took Palm 2, um, but this can be done with any language model and to give it both a speech front end and a speech um, a kind of a reconstructive end. Um, and the idea is, can you take a language model with all of its, especially like a chat-based one, like 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 Bard, and you know, like you can type it, you can type into it, and then you, you know it produces a text output, or maybe it, like generates an image for you. But um, I think you were saying something about like what think to, to some ex- Okay, maybe I, I don't remember how you exactly phrased it, but to the the point of um, the way I phrase it is like what comes next, it's like what is the current shortcoming of our interactive paradigm with right with um with chatbots with, with AI. Right. And this ties back to like what I felt was the shortcoming of like people interacting with websites. Like why can't a website interact back with you? Right. But it's like, you know, you and I talk like this with where we we say mm-hmm, yeah, or we might interrupt if we, we feel like we're not being understood. Or, or we're excited about a point, um, and current uh, interactive a- agents don't do that, right? Like you can't interrupt, like Google Assistant, if, if if it understood the wrong thing, we can't say no, 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 that's not what I meant. Um, and so, sorry, back to the back to the point of this 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 uh, paper that we put out. Um, um, at the very least, this is this is, it's not it's not that exactly, but it's like taking a language model that uh, that's been conversationally tuned. Um, and then with just a little, which a relatively small amount of data, right? Basically just like some pairs of speech and text, you, you can then adapt it to take in, to understand, to, to at least listen to speech, internally transcribe and continue, with it, continue, continue it with a reply. Yeah. And then it will synthesize the speech. And the difference between this and current modes of um, current systems is the current systems um, they basically, you know, your your Google system, your Alexa, those are all cascade. What do we call cascades of here's this here's like a wake word detector, like, you know, Alexa, blah blah blah. Yep. Uh, here's um here's a speech recognizer. Here's uh a, I mean not even a language model. Here's like a dialogue state tr- uh, like tracker. Um, but now there are language models here too, but then there's like a text to speech, and then there's like it's this whole thread of systems that are not very general, right? They're 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 very and like some of them are still using very traditional AI techniques, like um, and so. But once you have all of those parts start to connect, right? The language model with the voice, the input module versus the voice output module, and you make that a single model that goes end to end you know, you, you get, the, the hope is that you get a lot more um, multimodally under, like multimodally um, intelligent systems. So, yeah, so I think, so that's how it motivates my current research, yeah, like, like thinking about, you know, well, sure, you know, you hear demos, like uh, even like chat GPT voice where it's like, oh, you can, they can talk to it and it talks back to you, but it's not, it's it's not, it's not like you, know, you talking to like how or like to yeah. to <laughs> her um yeah. in, in the movie might be a better I mean, yeah. be a less contentious example um yeah yeah so that's example of what's motivating me right now like no, now no. that we have this technology what can we build
0: yeah no thanks for expanding on that it's interesting to see you know the, the your personal story as well is always around the communication aspect and What makes me excited about this is, uh, when you think about uh, large language models and uh, language, uh, when OpenAI launched ChatGPT, I was very impressed with the take-up of how people start to use it, because before that, to be part of, let's say, the AI community, you had to have some, let's say, technical skills to be able to build a model, train a model and even interact with the model and today with gen ai you can you know use natural language and i see people uh doing that all the time even my wife sometimes you No, know, she had to update her cv recently and ChatGPT was like super helpful <laughs> you know in reviewing the text and making suggestions so um, so how you No, know, what what's your thoughts in terms of you know ai literacy because i think you know when, when you started as you rightly said but something super hot, super interesting, and today, uh, at least in my view, I'm not sure if you agree, but you know people don't have the literacy required to understand let's say the, the benefits and risks of using uh, no uh, generative ai models so what's your what's your thinking around this where do you think this may go wrong may go on the right direction what what are your your considerations there
1: yeah um I mean, it's interesting you bring up the, the the AI being super hot. I mean, when when I when I started, I guess like when I started my job at Amazon, I was like 2017, um, and then before that, like pro- I probably like took my first machine learning course, like what 2013, 2014. Um, okay. And to me, yeah, to me like that, it was hot. It was already hot <laughs> yeah. then, right? But like, but but actually, I think it's. I mean, here's maybe one caveat. It's like, it was like it was hot for a very small group of people. Exactly. It was, yeah. It was very yeah. hot. Like, you know, when when the when the um, you know the neural network started beating like traditional systems on um, image classification, right? And I remember like reading about like logistic regression, and then like George Hint like Sir so Jeff Hinton had had the he had on Coursera. He's like he had a 2014 course on neural networks, and you know like that. Like that was hot and and and, of course, the sorry reason, reason I bring that up is like, in I would argue actually, the situation is better now in the sense that like lay the layperson is aware of chat GPT, right? Mm-hmm. Like they know that what it's doing that they know that pe- there are people out there generating text and mass. like, you know, like, websites ge- spam websites generated by ngram language models was were around in 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 2014, Yeah. Right. <laughs> or like like you know these these like these even traditional algorithms were already being used to make to make like decisions that like uh, maybe like loan application decisions or you know like you know ad recommendations. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it's it's like they were always there they were just weren't particularly good. But I, I think now for the first time, people are really acutely aware of where, how AI is kind of permeating all aspects of lives, right? Like from like video recommendations on TikTok, but also from like, you know, photoshopped or like really like artificially generated images, misinformation, yeah. um, like, you know, like they're people are quite attuned now to like, you know, when, when, when they go to a website and say this website seems off, it's pro- you know, probably because it's AI generated, right? Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it is a bit like Pandora's box, right? But I, and I, think, but I think the up, one upside of that is that people are more aware of like, you know, tech, you know, content is content, right? And it's, it's whether that content is meaningful or factual or, or what you need that's really like, you know, that's that's a harder decision and that's a more yeah. personal yeah. decision sometimes. Um, so, sorry, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. No, but... no, no.
0: I think I think absolutely right. I think uh, that's one of the big questions, right? So, to your example before, so if you can generate someone else's voice automatically, what that means from a security perspective, or even, you know, I don't know, uh, pictures, you know, right? So that raises a, a lot of you no know, risks and. Um, one of the things that it makes me like for me is a little bit overwhelming at the moment is just how to to keep you know up to date with this fast changing you know environment and so in in your view you are the center of the you know of this innovation you know how how you keep yourself you know, up to date and and motivated so can you learn some of the you know things you read and things you do so people following your steps can do, perhaps try to do the same.
1: Yeah. Well, well, my steps are biased because like I try to focus on research. Right. And there's definitely a a lot of things to keep up on too, especially, you know, in terms of like AI impact on business and, and of course, like the social and ethical aspects of AI. Um, I mean, for me, like, I guess, you know, it seems a bit dated now, but I, I mean, I just came back from EMNLP uh, in Singapore, and, and, you know, for me, that, that's still a pretty important part of, of my, of, like, keeping up to date in my career, because, um, you know, like, Especially, especially with um, you know, with a conference like EMNLP. So, so people might when people think of conferences in deep learning, they might think like NeurIPS or they might think ICML. And these, basically, these are just like well, I'll just say like they're like the marquee conferences. Like, and you know, that's those are the conferences where like OpenAI will throw parties or yeah, you know, that's where like those are places where I see hype really congregates. But then, what's nice about the EMNLP and what what these computations, computational linguistics conferences, as you really see like the long tail of people using um, language models and more generally like deep learning and natural language processing, right? Like, you know, you see people releasing corpora for like, you know, for for languages that, um, you know, maybe only like thousands, the tens of thousands of speakers speak or, or write. And, you know how do you how do you take language models and apply it to that long tail of um, long tail of um, of uh, you know social use cases and anthropological yeah. use cases um, there was you know some some more maybe contentious ones there was a there was a there was a um, paper on um, how to how to improve loan collection yeah. using uh, by modeling user personas so you kind of see of course like the, this is definitely like you can see how businesses, you know, for yeah. good or bad, are thinking about how to use AI, um, and of course, like you, then you also see like you know the cutting edge of like how do you better how to better prompt the language model. How, what are some alternate architectures or scaling laws so that we can get more out of our data, um, and and yeah, and, and and of course, like there are companies there that recruit, and there are companies that are you know there's there just researchers you talk to there who are thinking about like well what's you know what you know everyone's working on this but like nobody solved this part of the problem or this part of the problem um okay so that I mean, that's very specific to i guess like researchers but maybe to bring that analogy back to to a more general audience right i think you know we you know you go on twitter so maybe twitter's another um avenue just because a lot of nlp researchers end up um, being on there especially especially influencers end up being on there uh you you, you do see you know, you'll see a lot of what those, those again, those marquee uses, like, oh, I have a better image generator, or I have a, look, my chat bot gets a higher score on the benchmarks. So th- there's that. So definitely that's important to at least, like, keep abreast off. But if you're trying to push the boundary, you're trying to push the limit, think about, you know, what are the use cases that you have a the main edge about for me i like to think it's like this intersection of speech and language mm-hmm. and that's part of why i'm working on the on you know the speech generation uh, with large language models um but then for others it might be like you know i'm an anthropologist or i work on loan collections or i work on you know something that i don't know about right like, like there's like niche applications in health or science like physical sciences or or so forth and i think i think you know, having a maybe you know because there's so much content, like having a purpose of like what kind of problems you want to solve, and also just like, you know, even and especially back to the point about like how do we how do we stay productive and like how do we bring you know help Gen AI with maybe a professional edge. It's like think about like what you as a human are still best suited to to mm-hmm. tackle, and and then maybe maybe focus on. How gen AI and and that kind of overlap in terms of interest or ability
0: yeah no that's that's super useful I think you know, looking at our community um, you know trying to start new business and of course you know considering how AI can you know benefit the business model or even transform the business model, I think that's a big question mark and I suppose for people outside the research in you know, world this is something that is um you know uh, very relevant today and the beauty i think of generative ai specifically is that it can be applicable to so many different fields as you suggested now, if you're an anthropologist if you're a, a doctor if you are you know an engineer all you no know, generative ai will be able to help you in in different ways so uh, julian um you know I, I can't believe you know we can cover everything we want to cover in, in, in less than an hour. Like there's many things I think we, we can talk about. But um just before we wrap up, um so what would be your advice for someone you know, starting a business today and thinking about you know uh, AI, you know, should I explore this area or not? Should I invest my time? And you made a very good, you, know, you gave a very good uh, um, guidance here in terms of you know, what's the purpose how this can complement you as a human being but if you can you know put your hat back when you're, you had a startup you know old times what would be your you know advice say you know if you're an entrepreneur today thinking about starting uh, your own business leveraging ai what would be your view
1: hmm. i guess yeah i mean maybe just i'll probably restate what i had said but from like a business perspective right so so i think you know what one one thing is that i do think like i think now it's really hard to deny that gen ai is coming right like even yeah. compared to a year ago right i remember that you know people would would say well you know image look how bad image generators are a year ago yeah. and now you look at them now right and that was that was a year ago right or or like, uh, you know, like, well, look, like, ChatGPT will, right, it sounds like a human. And now, like, you know, the language models are using tools, like, they're connected. You can have connect them to, like, Wikipedia or Google Sheets or whatever. And, and and they all start to link together, right? And so I think that the very first thing would be that, you know, it's it's, like, denying that, like, steam power or cars are coming, right? It's, like, well, yeah. it's, like, Okay, there's there's a technology. It's kind of been unlocked, and it's like right now is really just the exploration phase. But but if if you basically fundamentally, if you I'm saying if you, if you if you if you if something seems fundamentally possible, you know, given the data that's out and given how you know language models learn, and maybe this is where like it it, it is worthwhile for um, a prospective entrepreneur to at least understand. What the limits of a language model language model or the current paradigm of machine learning are, just so that they don't build something that's gonna be out in like you know three months from now. Right. It's like I guess it was clear, maybe at least to clear some people, that you know, the the things like the the improvements in the image generations was were due, like that, that was gonna happen. Right. And like it's clear to me, like in the same way, it's clear to me that like speech is gonna be the next frontier, but maybe that's not clear to everyone yet. Um Right, so, so have some sort of clarity of like, what is a business that has a bit more staying power than just another like year of technological advancement. So that's one thing. And, and I guess the second thing was, this is the restate, is the, is the, the human edge is still the human experience, right? Like even if, if even if conceptually you have a machine that can like do math better than any human, right? Or can do like, can write better code and in in any specific situation than a human. The reality is the users will still be humans and the users will still have their own, you know, idiosyncrasies and biases. Maybe, you know, like humans are not logical logical beings. Um, And actually neither are language models to be fair. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, But, But, I think that's, you know, you need to figure out, like, what is your innovation, right? What is the the innovation is, sure, it might be the use of Gen AI, but what is, um, sorry, maybe what is the, what is your innovation in terms of humans? Like when a human is, or, or when a business or consumer is your customer, right? Like, what is the innovation that your Gen AI or, you know, whatever solution brings to them? Right. Like why is it like this, this changes my life specifically, not just that there are pretty pictures on the internet, yeah. but like, this is why you're, you know, you're, 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 you know, let's say you're linking does your gen AI platforms to some like logistics, like real world thing. And like that is useful to people. And why is that? And as a human with a human experience, like, you know, what you, you, you tangibly, you, you viscerally know why that is useful. And, yeah. you know, I think, maybe those two points are what i'd like to communicate to. No, no super super helpful.
0: Um, yeah, no, thanks Fred. And I think it's um it's a super useful guidance um uh, you know for for entrepreneurs. And i i love your positive spin as well. So i i i like your your view, you no know, in terms of what what humans can do and what generative ai can do. And actually i think we complement each other. Um, and that's not being, let's say, said often enough, I think, <laughs> in the in, in the media. But listen, Julian, I, you know, really enjoyed the conversation. Um, thanks for making the time and thanks for sharing, you know, with us, your perspectives. A super, super inspirational, super valuable. Um, hope that you stay connected. So,
1: so thanks again. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Marcus. It was great chatting. Good stuff. Marcus. Thank you. Thank you.